Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Why Football podcast with me, Ed Sudoku, and Michael Dryden. This week, amid the media interest that has come from Mark Lattenberg's new book, <laughs> Whistleblower, My Autobiography, the name, that's a crap name, but okay, mm. we take a look at some of the book's revelations, the treatment of referees received at the high level and grassroots, and we'll discuss whether more needs to be done to protect the men in black. I didn't actually write that bit. <laughs> I need to highlight that because that that's a shocking piece of writing from Dryden. The Men in Black. Men in Black is a fantastic film, to be fair, but yeah, I'm not too sure about that before we start <laughs> please follow us on twitter at wifeupple underscore and subscribe with us on apple podcast spotify acast and youtube instead of asking how you are Dryden, why did you write men in black there <laughs> <laughs> i was just thinking what could i get just to say in the intro <laughs> fair play how are you doing uh yeah not bad back in the back in the northeast did the hackney half marathon yesterday as well which was was good i did that like four years ago and it was quite a, a small event, but like an averagely sized event. It's massive now. It's like a music festival. So I went down there and I just did it on, I just did it because I wanted to train for something. So I just went on my own, did it, left, came back to the Northeast. And I felt like such a loser because it was actually such a big event, but didn't really um, shout anyone to come down. So, um, but no, it was, that was good. And back in the Northeast, going to Sunderland versus Cheltenham Town tomorrow night, which, uh, <laughs> which is not, I think it's the first time, it must be the first time we played them in, well, a number of years, but um, that's going to be a cold night on Wearside watching us against the Cheltenham lads. But um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. How are you doing, Etches? Uh I was doing okay after the North London derby. Spirits mm. were high. However, Brighton just conceded about 15 minutes ago, which is bad for my fantasy. So, You're doing very well, are you? No, I'm not. Six game weeks in. It's been a tough season so far, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful we'll turn it around Um Teams, teams, team, the team is good. They've been unfortunate, some some poor decisions on my behalf. But um, yeah, not much to report on that front, uh, to be honest. I haven't done a half marathon uh, myself, nor do I want to do one. Uh, you have, haven't you? Did you do Brighton half marathon? Yeah, no, that was ages ago. I, was in, I haven't done one like recently. That was ages okay. ago. And I, I didn't mm. really enjoy it, to be fair. It was difficult. <laughs> the, the whole running thing is not really for me. But um, moving on, why this episode specifically? <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, when I messaged you probably four days ago to say that I want to do a topic on refereeing, I could sense in your reply that you were a bit like, hmm, <laughs> you were like, hmm, what exactly do you want to do on refereeing? Um, but uh, as you said in the intro, Mark Clattenberg has released um, a book, or he's releasing a book, sorry, in two days on the 30th of uh, September. So, I mean, just to be clear, I don't, unfortunately, I don't know Mark Clattenberg personally. So this is not a plug. I'm not his PR manager, career coach, etc. Um, just FYI, <laughs> I don't wonder why I'm doing a, quite a large part of this on on his book. But it's just quite interesting, um, and it's received quite a lot of media interest because it's got seemingly quite a lot of good in, good insight on refereeing as a whole. You don't typically get. I mean, you don't get many referees come out and talk full stop on you know specific decisions or about their careers. So this is quite a interesting. Um, thing for his book to come out i mean I, i'm tempted i'm gonna go on to discuss more about what's in the book you know i haven't got it i've not read it but there's been a lot of insights i've been in the press um I, i'd be interested to get hold of it just to see what those insights are but he seems like a, quite a bizarre guy so i might not um a lot of it is quite funny and jovial that comes out but actually there's a lot of serious insight in there as well around the life of the referee the politics in kind of the referee fraternity um, the stress that comes with it, the abuse that we, you know, is 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 unsurprising. That is, is 
is aimed to cause a lot of people in the footballing industry, not just referees. Um, I don't think we've ever really done a podcast episode that is focused specifically on on refereeing as well. So I think that was quite interesting to do. But you know, as as I pushed on there, we all see on our screens referees getting berated by players, managers, and fans. You know, on the pitch, fans singing, "You don't know what you're doing," <laughs> um, amid some more creative chants. Um, and you've got like managers and players who go on post-match rants um, at press conferences um, on TV. Afterwards, about the officiating, you know, people like Jurgen Klopp, um, who there's a big one that he um, was ranting about. I think it was Brighton last year and late penalty that they got to equalise. Uh, Neil Warnock, as much as I love the guy, the worst part about him is he absolutely berates officials. It's quite painful to watch. Um and also there's the other side as well, the really dark side of, of of the internet, basically. We all see on social media, refs getting abused and humiliated by fans. You know, even sometimes players tweet stuff, um, but refs seldom get a chance to explain their actions. You know, they're seemingly expected to be seen and not heard. I remember Graham Sooners once saying, I think there was a intonation by someone that refs should get more of a chance to say and reveal their logic behind decisions. And I think Sooness was like, no, they should, why they should be doing their job and get on with it. But actually, we'd actually get more of an insight into their logic if they could do. So today I want to look at, you know, refereeing generally, pose some of the questions of, you know, is it right that they should be seen not heard? You know, what more can be done to protect officials if they should be at all? And, um, you know, should all of us, including myself, treat them with a bit more respect? Yeah, I think... Um... You are right. I, I was a bit confused as to why I wanted to do an episode on refereeing. <laughs> I was like, oh, what do you want to talk about? Like the decisions in a game or like yeah. the, the history of the refereeing flag? You know, the linesman flag. I thought, yeah, that'd be a bit, <laughs> a bit, a bit dull. But no, it is a really interesting topic. I think football is archaic in its approach to tackle abuse. Actually, no, football's archaic to tackle or change anything. I mean, look at the issues mm. you've had with VAR. Um, I'm sure the same has been with other things they've tried to change as well. You know, we're going to talk about it later on about his issues at grassroots level. I actually recall an episode, right, where Dan Gosling was at Bournemouth. This was years ago, maybe three or four years ago. And a ref apparently teased him over their league position. And he mm. was irate, being like, oh, it's unacceptable. Like, how can a ref do that? The amount of abuse players mm. give a ref per game, all yeah. the linesmen, all officials, like, for whatever reason. I, the fourth official... Standing next to st- standing <laughs> next to those managers with fourth official must be the, one of the worst things in the world. You've got yeah. Sir Alex Ferguson chomping gum for ninety minutes in your ear. You got people like Vengas and Alalas Klopp, all of them screaming, literally mm. screaming. Like the fourth official can you can't do anything. And it's like you know, it's it's funny and easy for players and managers to say, "Oh, that's unacceptable." But what about the abuse that refs get? It's a culture which is accepted. And that needs to change, but it's a question about how you actually do that. Mm, definitely, and I reckon a few of the managers have got pretty bad coffee breath as well, firing that straight in your face. So big Sam, <laughs> big. If anyone's got bad coffee breath, it's Big Sam. <laughs> big Sam Allardyce has got. I know he did a pod on him, and I think he's a brilliant manager. Big Sam's got got bad coffee breath, and so does Nigel Pearson. They've got bad yeah. coffee breath. Who would you rather fight, Allardyce or Pearson? Just quickly. Uh, Allardyce, he's he's older, I think. Less mobile, yeah, less mobile. But Pearson, he's got he's got some fight in him. I reckon it'd be tough. And obviously, uh, the grandmaster is uh, Daesh. I wouldn't want to go near Daesh. Mm, I'd actually go Pearson as the grandmaster. He's a bit. He's had some health problems as well, Pearson. So yeah, yeah. potentially we'll go with with Daesh on on that one. Um, 
so yeah, to, to kick things on, I mean, um, so I think the first thing that has been released about um, or has been the press around Clattenburg's book and some of the anecdotes from a more jovial and more kind of um, a, a more casual standpoint has been the stuff about the you know rivalry between officials. Um, you know, he talks about rivalries that are built up over time, like between himself um, and mainly with Martin Atkinson, but also with Graham Paul and Howard Well. This is all quite funny. Like it's this, this bit in particular because it just makes you laugh thinking about these guys. You know, we know these guys are on our are on our screens or were on our screens so much. They they actually probably have the most camera attention when you're watching a game live. I feel like we know these people personally, like characters in a film, so like or a, a TV show. So to see them in this context spatting each other just is really quite interesting. Um, it's it's also a side to referee and I hadn't really considered, but it makes sense. You know, only one person can ref the Champions League final, the FA Cup final, etc. So there is really a competitive element to it. You know, you're you're competing with these fellow refs for for the big jobs, and that is tied to your livelihood. Um, so you, you, you'd think that all refs would be in solidarity because they, you know, they all do quite a difficult job. They get a lot of abuse and, you know, to an extent they will be, it's probably like a sibling rivalry, you know, the siblings still love each other, but at the same time, they, uh, <laughs> they might not necessarily overly love each other, uh, uh, like each other as, as personalities, etc. So, um, so Clattenburg's spat with Atkinson actually started with a bust up in a, in a five-a-side match that seemingly the officials were playing, um, Clattenburg stating that I caught him with a tackle, he threw a punch, and I threw a punch back. From that moment, I knew there was always a certain level of respect between us, but friendship was out. <laughs> Proper clash of the titans <laughs> down at Goals or down at um, <laughs> down at Power League, wherever it was. Um, he also went on to talk about uh, Clattenburg, talk about Atkinson's um, alleged posse. So he stated that you would be on a European trip and one of Atkinson's minions would be with you as fourth official, and you knew he was reporting back to his master. <laughs> it's just yes, mad. It's bizarre. Um, and uh, with Graham Paul, so Paul had been seemingly, or according to Clattenburg, one of Clattenburg's role models. You know, coming into it, you know, Paul's now retired, retired a long time ago. Um, but Paul actually reported Clattenburg to the PG or PGMOL, the, um, the the kind of the, bo- the body that uh, works on behalf of the. I think it works behalf on the refs or they, they they work with like VAR and that sort of thing. Um, so Clattenburg arrived at a match with a man bag, which I, I don't know if he means a wash bag, but I, you know, it says man bag in what, in the, from the research I, I looked at, stating that, or Paul stated that he didn't think it was appropriate for a referee. And Clattenburg's quote from it is, did you have to dress like an effing square? After that, I could not trust him. It just sounds so bizarre. Yeah, I, I just think that Graham Paul also has bad coffee breath as well. <laughs> having thought about it, having thought about the, the people we mentioned earlier, he he's definitely one as well. But it's just really interesting, like how these referees argue and kind of have their set friendships. I guess it makes sense. It's the same with any form of work. I mean, you you would assume there's solidarity because they're the ones getting abused, but often actually within that there's hierarchy. I mean, these are the elite referees in the country. Yeah. I guess get there there's a certain level of competition between them mm. to kind of get to the top and then when you are in the select group of let's say 15 or however many refs there are it's all about you know who's the number one because you know some of those refs have never been in Champions League finals or mm. FA Cup finals and some have so there's a bit of a hierarchical system which is quite difficult to navigate it seems as a uh, Clattenburg's alluded to <laughs> in his book <laughs> Yeah, and I should say, like, just to put place of context on this, like, 
you know, as I said earlier, there's not been a load of th- a load of material released by refs over the years about their career and and, and co. Um, so we are really going for the for the context of this episode. We really are taking a lot of what Clattenburg says as, as gospel to an extent, but we've got to take that as or we've got to just remember that this is just one person's side of the story. He's obviously talking about other refs that can't really defend themselves in this forum or in his book. Um, so we have to take that that context into it. Um, moving on to Howard Webb. Um, Clattenburg states, I did well for him in the Euros as an, addition, as an additional referee. However, when Howard doesn't need you, he doesn't speak. There is an element here that I sense from this, that Clattenburg is a, is a bit bitter with a few of these these men. So I don't know if it speaks a lot more about Clattenburg than it does them. Um, but there is a level of bitterness here, particularly someone like Howard Webb. I mean, he's Howard Webb's, I believe, is ref to World Cup final. Um, I think it might have been the one where Dion got sent off was Howard Webb. Uh, in 2010, I think that's after fact check that, but he has he has refed in a World Cup final. Whereas you know Clattenburg's done a Euros final, he did the Champions League final. He's got them tattooed on his wrist <laughs> or his leg somewhere. Um, but I just get the, the sense there's a bit of bitterness here, um, either from like a cliquey standpoint in terms of not being invited in to the to the crowd, or just from you know career aspirations and, and whatnot. Um, moving on to Mike Riley on a on a European trip um, with Mike Riley, Clattenburg was accused by Riley of stealing his speakers and then found Riley rummaging through his bags moments before kickoff at the San Siro. This is the Champions League game. It was AC Milan versus Benfica at the San Siro and Riley is rummaging through Clattenburg's bags. Um, they later turned up days later and Riley apparently didn't apologise to Clattenburg for going through his stuff. Um, so yeah, overall, the, the refereeing circle just seemed to have become very cliquey and political if it hasn't already been. Uh, according to Clattenburg, Graham Paul had an exclusive red wine club, but then Clattenburg had his own group of Phil Dowd, Alan Wiley, Dermot Gallagher and, and Dino, as he refers to him, being Mike Dean. Um, and Clattenburg claims that the politics started in that web era. So it seems like there's quite a lot of clicks going on, of positive behaviour going on, just not not just from like Atkinson and Riley, but also... Plattenberg and Gore. The thing is with these books is they need to be interesting, right? And the way they're interesting is with big reveals. I think yeah. you're, you're definitely right on the Howard Webb point that he does come across a little bit bitter. Yeah. For a variety of reasons, because he's one of the most decorated refs of probably ever in English football from memory. Um, it, the Red Wine Club sounds like a secret Tory club as well. I don't know why, <laughs> why it was called that. Red Wine Club sounds a little bit like, yeah, the secret Tory alliance of the referees band together. But that's that's just uh, my own thinking. Um, but it is interesting how he kind of talks about that as well. Fun fact: Dermot Gallagher went to school with my dad. Believe it or not, I think he was. Oh. The, I think he was the year above him. Actually, I need to need to fact check that. Um, if he's was listening. he the ref, was he the ref in the playground? Uh, who knows. <laughs> Who knows, to be honest, who knows who's regulating school football. I mean, it was a bit pretty wild time. But I do mm. have time for Clattenburg's energy. He's made quite a few controversial comments since he's retired. I, I feel like now he's retired, he wants to be in the spotlight in a different way, which mm. I don't mind. There are many refs that have kind of left the game and that's the last you hear of them. And I think there is a, there is a shrouded mystery around some of them where you do want to know more. You do want to understand, you know, I think, uh, did Clattenburg not, he confirmed in his book that Fergie time did exist. It's like, well, why? And, you know, I feel like there's a bit of a few hush-hush things in the refereeing circle, which he seems willing to reveal. Um, it's interesting to hear that the, the refs aren't on the same page, though I'm not surprised. It'd be interesting to see how that's formed now with the 
some of them are still refereeing. Atkinson still is, I believe, but just mm. uh, some of the other refs as well, especially the ones coming through. Yeah, it does make you wonder. So you think someone like Clattenburg coming out, this is a means for him to make more money, to maybe get some some work elsewhere uh, in the media, perhaps. Um, back to that Howard Webb anecdote. Uh, he actually, Clattenburg had said that Howard Webb hadn't invited him to some like some party that was linked to like the one of the competitions they were um, they were working in. It just seems to link to this kind of just seems to be quite a bitter guy. So perhaps we take some of his anecdotes with a with a pinch of with a pinch of salt. But moving on to less like jovial um, anecdotes and and kind of revelations from the from the book and this well less revolution revelations because this is not particularly surprising. But moving on to kind of online abuse that we look at here from for the referees. I mean, we're all aware of the abuse um, people in the public eye receive on social media. It's not just footballers or people in football. You know, it's we've seen it happen with you know, countless celebrities and people from the television. Um, Clattenburg states that he's still getting, I'm still getting abuse now on social media. And it's really sad to see the abuse that referees take. I got death threats and the social media companies wouldn't do anything about it. What does it take somebody to get hurt? Or like what we are seeing now, players getting racially abused. It's not correct. It shouldn't be around in today's society, which is, um, I mean, it's not surprising that he's getting stick. I'm surprised that he's got Twitter, to be honest. He's actually a member since 2017. I checked this out earlier. I'm not surprised. Like, if I was a ref, the last place I would be spending my time is on Twitter. You'd be getting absolutely, even if you haven't got, a, if, even if you haven't got an account, yeah. you wouldn't find me on that. You would not find me on that site at any point. Um, in February this year, Mike Dean and his family received uh, death threats after Dean sent off Thomas Suchek at Craven uh, Cottage, which is, is is terrible to hear, particularly bringing his family into it. But even so, it's just it's just mad that people have the time to do this. Um, scrolling through Clattenburg's tweets, there's one right here. So he hasn't really used Twitter extensively. As I said, I'm not surprised. Even though he's not, even though he's not efficient anymore, doesn't surprise me that he's he's sacked off or hasn't used Twitter like many of us would. A lot of it's just retweeting, plugging things like his book and interviews he's had in the past, whatever. Someone, I saw some guy just, in, he just like plugged an interview that he did, uh, Clattenburg, with, I can't remember who it was with. Someone just replied to the the tweet just saying, you are shit. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> yeah, fair. it's not very it's nice, just, is it? It's just like it's just because it's just like they're seen as like almost subhuman in the context of football. I think they just people think they can get away with doing such things, and the, the, the sad truth is they can get away with it. You can get away with anything. I mean, um, but yeah, I dread to think what the refs get who are currently in the public eye. I, I try to find accounts for Martin Atkinson and Co. and players like people like Phil Dowd and, and all the refs as well, and couldn't find any any accounts. I'm, I'm not surprised. Um, you know, we've talked about on other podcasts about the lack of work being done on Twitter. And other social media companies to prevent online abuse. You know, we also happened to Bukayo Saka after Euros, for example. Um, and interestingly, after the Dean incident where he got death threats, uh, the referees' association chairman Paul Field came out and said he thinks um, eventually a referee's life will be lost due to abuse in the future, um, which is such a sad state of affairs. Yeah, very much so. I mean. I think that's what that, that is what's going to happen, to be honest. I mean, mm. social media companies, do need to do much more? But it's a record which is going on and on because, you know, the heat on these sports professionals and people in the spotlight, i.e. officials as well, is unbearable. But 
nothing seems to be really changing and we keep going on about this at the euros oh it's terrible Mm. like we need to do more but nothing really seems to be happening and it's just how much more are people willing to take or companies are willing to see before they take action i'm surprised he does have an account um Kattenberg, but then at the same time as you said it could be for promo predominantly or yeah. to do sort of stuff like that but um yeah it's it, the online abuse i think referees it, it's all tied to football i think football has an online abuse problem football has an in stadium abuse problem it's mm-hmm. which do you tackle first obviously um we'll talk about that a little bit later on i think you have to tackle offline first because uh you know that's within the fa's powers when they're talking about Twitter, Facebook, like, you know, there's only so much you can do. You can't go and say to Clattenburg and most people don't be on social media because that's, a, that's how a lot of them get money. You know, yeah, footballers, yeah. yeah, you could say, oh, referees and footballers earn loads and loads of money, but it's still a stream of income for them. It shouldn't be, oh, this is a potential moneymaker for me. I can't go on it because I'm going to get told to die because that's pretty unacceptable. But I, yeah. I, I agree with what you mentioned before. I just think that, something will have to happen very seriously to someone very important because I'm sure there are people getting abused online that play lower league football that may have, may have died or committed suicide or self-harmed. But until it's someone very high profile, these companies won't bat an eyelid. Mm, yeah, true. I just find it mad how you can create an account. I create an account just with a, a pseudo name like Sugar Daddy 63 or something and put no put a picture of like Pikachu is my profile picture and I can just create an account and I can just send someone abuse and they'd have no clue who I am because there's no accountability to it. There's no, we should start verifying more people's accounts. Like not just those people who are somebody's apparently like Philip Schofields and whatever, cause they're, they're famous, but why don't we make, why don't we have every account verified with, you know, might, people might say it's an invasion of privacy and freedom of speech, but actually people are abusing freedom of speech by abusing people. So yeah, very I think, true. Um, I think it should be more accountability. Yeah, very true. Also, a, a peek into Dryden's uh, personal life there with the, use, <laughs> with the username he decided to pick. No one prompted him to say that. He could have picked any. He could have picked any username under the sun. He could have picked Hellboy One Hundred and One. He could have picked uh, Red and White <laughs> Army, but he chose to pick that. So take from that what you will. I won't say anything more on the matter. Yeah, each their own. Uh, so moving <laughs> on to a section I've titled uh, "Offline Abuse," effectively meaning. You know, abusive games, um, at, at games, around games, before and after games, either at the top level, you know, by the masses of fans, players and managers that we see on our screens, um, some of it more severe than others, um, or more pertinently at grassroots levels, um, at grassroots level by, you know, players, managers, parents, etc., which is another factor on that on that side of it. Um, in terms of like the higher level stuff or the high, more high profile fixtures, you know, in terms of like, so refs getting surrounded by players constantly and, you know, getting their face and being furious and, you know, really berating, berating the ref. It's kind of, I feel like it's kind of got better um, in modern football as time's gone on, um, but it still does happen. And it sets a poor example. Um, you know, refs have the power to card players for dissent, but it's it's not always easy for the ref to just do that all the time. Because, you know, if if they booked a player or set a player off every time they swore them, they'd probably be sending off two or three players. That, in theory, is, is correct. That should that should be what happens. And that should be what actually sets the example and stops and turns this kind of culture around. But in the short term, it's easy to say that. And this, a ref could, in the short term, think, well, if I continue to, to do this, if I continue to send players off, it's going to make things worse in that game. I might get a lot of stick afterwards. You've got to think of it in that context. But actually, that would be the thing that would uh, start changing the game if we start to see like, straight reds all the time 
this type of descent um or any type of descent um and Clattenburg interestingly on that on similar on kind of on that point it talked about creating a transparent environment for refs um so he said that I'm all for referees being transparent I'm all for referees being open he said why not it's an open world referees need to communicate their decisions I think if it's done in a controlled environment, it will benefit the game because people can understand why a referee made a decision right or wrong. It's kind of like in, I think it's in rugby union, you know, more than matches, but you, they're, they're mic'd up. You can hear what they're saying. I saw like an Australian soccer game where they trialed that and it was kind of getting played through the, um, alongside the commentator. So you could hear uh, what was being said at certain intervals when the game was stopped. That seemed to work quite well. But when you apply it to, I don't know, that's, I think it was a pretty minor game. You apply that to one of the biggest games in the world, that might be where it's a bit more challenging. Um, but I think in this context, he's referring more to, you know, after the game, the referee should be able to come out and give his his or her side of the story rather than it just being that they have to shut up and get on with it. And then they get all this abuse from the media and from managers and players and fans, etc. And they can't defend themselves. So, I mean, potentially that would that would that could be a good thing. Downside is it could create an environment where there's an expectation that refs need to come out and explain absolutely every decision. We, sh- we shouldn't ex- have that expectation of doing their job. They're going to make mistakes. I actually think the standard of officiating is good um, when you consider the difficulty that and the speed of which the game's moving, how fit they need to be, the, diff- the difficulty of not only working with four officials at once, but having to make really tight calls in big matches with a lot of people watching um, in, in, in an atmosphere, in a, in a stadium with a bit, a quite a, a, a ruckus atmosphere, etc. is quite difficult. Um, but overall, the theme of this, from my point, this pod from from me is there is a clear lack of respect for officials. I think, and I, you know, I've been guilty of that myself. Um, so, so yeah, um, I think there is a clear lack of respect for officials, and I think it's behind the majority of of abuse and mistreatment we see uh, on and off the pitch. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I don't really get the point on. You know, refs booking players could stoke the fire. I mean, we mentioned rugby. I think mm. that's a brilliant example where abusing the ref is not tolerated. And, and, and it's this yep. culture, you know, talking about the abuse and talking about fans are frustrated about decisions, which then drives abuse. But the, the ultimate point is, and I know rugby is very good at it, is that the ref's word should be final. There are people, right, they were arguing against VAR saying the refs make mistakes. But then the same people are then like, oh yeah, but like mm. if the ref makes a you know a red card because obviously VAR is predominantly offsides. I know it does review red cards, but let's say we're mm. talking about fractional offsides. Like, oh, that's the way the game was. Let's not change it. But then you're the same guy who's fuming that the ref has missed yeah, this 100%. clip, and that's and that's the problem is that the culture needs to change. I mean, explaining decisions, as you rightly said, would probably help that. But I think fundamentally, tougher sanctions need to be put in place in order to prevent that. And there will be teething problems. Like, it's easy to compare it to rugby. Rugby has been played, it's only been played professionally for 25, 30 mm. years, but it's been around for decades, centuries even, about a century odd. So to change that culture takes a very long period of time. And I think that's kind of what, you know, football needs from the top to the bottom. Because if I'm seven, I'm playing grassroots football and I'm seeing my favorite player, you know, abuse the ref or even at stadiums you know you, you can't turn a blind eye. you go to games and you're a kid and you're seeing fans heckling everyone your dad may mm. not your dad may do it as well or your uncle or your brother or whoever and then you just join in so unless yeah. if the, the fa can control this they can control offline abuse they just choose not to do enough about it they can control stadiums there can be tougher sanctions in place it's the same with racism it's the same with abuse to referees but they don't really want to know um and I think ultimately, 
it won't be the refs walking off the pitch. I think that there's not enough people fighting their corner for them to feel that they could do that. But it will eventually be the abuse that players are getting. I think we're not too far away from a period where that will happen in the mm. Premier League. And when that happens, perhaps that spotlight of players walking off abuse um, could then lead to referees getting more backing as well, not just from the players, but also from the fans as well. Yeah, I think your point earlier around something big has to happen for, for change to happen is is um, is right. And I think it's, it's a shame that football is really reactive in that sense. And it'll take one referee to quit. It'll take probably like quite a young referee, I think, to quit and say, you know what, I can't take this. Um for us, for change to actually come in, um, and it's a real shame. I mean, the highest level it must be. I I think they're mental for doing that job. Personally, <laughs> I just think I have so much admiration for them to do it because, you know, it's oh, they're just getting stick all the time uh, in the game after game. You know, they'll get they'll get probably get stick in the street. It's just I find it. I I have hats off for them, but I think they're mental for doing it. Um, <laughs> moving on to kind of grass level football, then um, on the similar topic of like offline abuse. Um, and I found a fair bit of statistics from a um, BBC article from November 2020. So it's pretty recent, but it's quite difficult to find data on this kind of thing. But um, so f- taken from a study conducted by the University of Portsmouth, three in five referees say they experience abuse every two games. Um, 93.7% of match officials interviewed said they have experienced verbal abuse at some point in their officiating uh, time. Higher than cricket, which had a 56.5%, and rugby union, which is at 53.7%. So obviously, it's quite subjective. I don't know what the sample size was, but a very stark difference there. Um, according to the FA, on average, there are around two assaults per week across the English game, including grass, grassroots, which is, uh, is a bit mad. I see it. I put my notes a bit unsurprising. I'm a little bit surprised by that, that there's that many assaults. But um, you think how many games have been played at all levels, you know, to pre pretty significant amount of games pretty significant amount of people involved um so you've got to take it with a bit of a bit of context you know we don't know we don't see these not all of it will be a parent you know running onto the pitch when the referee uh, sorry when their child gets tackled and swings at the ref you know there will be more context to it yeah. like the ref might be giving it as, as much as he as he can take but we, we assume it's possibly more toward the the former <laughs> mm. based on what we know and experiences you know i've played football at grassroots before when i was younger I played throughout my childhood and you know parents could be a nightmare you know when their kids involved they just they they, they see it through like you know tinted rose tinted they see their sons through rose tinted glasses or their daughters um i, I imagine the parents side is probably even worse at girls football because <laughs> some some men will be hyper um protective and masculine in those in those particular yeah. games and their daughters involved um but as I said, do we need to provide a bit more respect to these guys? You know, um, you can understand players acting in anger on the pitch at times, you know, being stern, you know, if they've been tackled or on the floor in pain and they shout at the ref because they should have given a foul. You can understand that a bit more because they're actually involved in the heat at the moment. Um, but the, the parents aren't really, um, or the spectators or the fans, whoever. Uh, the fact that assaults occur is actually a bit mind-boggling to be honest um but i mean without refs at all levels all levels of the game the sport wouldn't exist it, it grassroots you've got refs earning what 30 pound a game that's decent for like a you know if you're a uni student doing a bit of refereeing on the, on the side at uni or somewhere else locally yeah 30 pound do, do that a couple times a week that's decent at lincoln um but at the same time you're still turning up for that what is not a significant amount of money turn up on a cold you know cold wet mornings in january on weekends, you know, Saturday mornings, Saturday afternoons, 
you know, Sundays, weeknights, you know, all kind of not very sociable times to be doing that. Um, but yeah, there should be should be probably be far more far more respect. I mean, not parents squaring up to the twenty to a twenty three year old ref, you know, at their child's under ten Sunday league match. You know, I think overall refs do a good job, even at the lower levels, they do a good job based on what they, what they have around them. Most refs at the lower league, you know, when I was, you know, if you're if you're at the lower echelons of Sunday league football, you don't have linesmen. You just literally have a ref. You don't. There's no fourth official. There's no linesman. There's sometimes not even corner flags. There's sometimes there's not even nets and goals. And these these guys are having to make like you know offside calls with grown men who are twice the size of them. Like it's not easy. Um, but obviously some people, parents, etc., you know, players, they get a bit of you know high and mighty and think they can do the job ten times better. But actually, it's it's tough. It's not easy. Yeah, you're not wrong at all. Um, uh, my old math teacher from school quit grassroots level because he was frequently abused and ended up getting chased off <laughs> after after two specific matches. He was an odd character to be to be fair to him, but you know I'm not surprised. I've seen power league refs actually in Croydon where, where I grew up getting abuse. I actually saw a power mm. I actually saw a power league ref square up to another player, which reminds me of that um, referee. <laughs> That squared up to that to Alan Judge was that not who you squared up to? In in the cha- in the championship last year, there was a ref who called a foul. The player said something to the ref, and then the ref, the ref squared up to the player, which was quite mad because you know championship level refereeing is a very high standard. And I was very surprised. It was like a scene you'd get in some of the mad clips in South America, like where the ref two foots like the goalkeeper. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, like South America, some some mad stuff happens in South America. But yeah, no, it, it, going back to the grassroots level, you're right. It's an incredibly difficult job and not enough done to support them. But as I said, you can't fix grassroots level refereeing and abuse until you fix it from the top. That's yeah, where it definitely. comes from. So if you put like, oh, you know, if if a grassroots level you get abused, you can cancel the game. That will not work unless if similar legislation is put at the top of the game. I'm not saying if refs get abused, they should cancel the game in the Premier League. But what I am saying is when you're seeing your heroes, whether it's Ronaldo or whether it's Bruno Fernandes or whether it's Lukaku or whether mm. it's whoever, and they're getting booked constantly for the Fs and the you're, you're this and you're that, then that will trickle down to lower roots, to lower levels of the game. Just as much as when we see managers do it. We see managers get sanctioned. They are getting sanctioned more often. But it's these things people need to see to realise it's not okay to do it at this level and we need to protect refs more. Okay, you can give me all the abuse you want, but at the end of the game, you're going you're gonna to forfeit it. It's up to you. Mm. But, you know, they yeah. need, we need to see these things higher, at the higher end of the game so that you know the lower ends because it's just an acceptance and it's a culture to change culture you need change because as i said playing rugby as well as football you don't really you don't get that in rugby you really Mm. don't even at grassroots level you do not get parents really commenting they might do sometimes but then there's I've, i've had i've had a ref before at school level who was so incensed by a parent's commentary it was going to affect the team so like, yeah, if he doesn't do this, then basically I'm going to, then every time you get a penalty, I'm going to reverse it, which is actually mad. It's actually mad. That, <laughs> yeah. It's actually mad that the referee had that much power, but that's the culture. Now you do that in football. Mm. He's thinking, right, well, if I actually say that, I'm going to get beaten up or I'm going to get abused. I'm going to get assaulted. And football, I'm aware football is a much bigger game. But as I said, you need to put things in place to try and change the culture. Otherwise it will never change. No, agreed. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, finally, I mean, what can be, done to protect refs we kind of went over that so just you know we've 
just to wrap up, I think I think VAR will provide some level of protection. I mean, that only affects the top tiers of you know Europe's top leagues currently. I don't know how far-reaching VAR has become um, in terms of you know lower leagues in other countries, but um, that does provide some level of protection in terms of you know if there's an issue now that if if it, if VAR hasn't overturned something, it becomes more of an issue with VAR. Um, those in Stotley Park, you know, um, more decisions would be correct. So, you know, you might still get, oh, Mike Riley was saved by VAR again, but if the outcome is achieved, that is correct, then the abuse is less likely. Fans are very reactive. They just really want the best for their team, really. That's the heart of it. It doesn't excuse them for what they end up doing, but that is the heart of it. So if that does get correct, if the decisions are correct, then in theory, there'll, there'll be less abuse. Yeah, but as you yeah, and as you said, it needs to come from the, in the top down. I think difficulty at grassroots is policing anything, as you said, like... If he, if you know, if the the ref does something severe and then finishes the game and his car's on bricks because people have nicked his wheels, then that's not ideal, is it? <laughs> in the short term, online, as I said, they need to needs to be identities verified, accountability needs to come into it. You know, you know, it's not not these accounts with Sugar Daddy sixty three or Goku rules nine nine two or something like that. Um, you know, DM footballers with racial abuse and all sorts and referees giving them stick. Um, so Clattenburg's idea of transparency could help, perhaps. Although, who knows? That could just, um, or that could just serve to f- fuel the fire, perhaps. Realistically, yeah, it has to come from VAR. W- w- will help, but you know, more needs to be done from the FA. Um, as we've mentioned a few times, do they have the you know the guts to do it? No, um, mm. don't really believe in the FA at all with with a lot of things. So that's not going to happen. Will social media companies change? No, because they don't seem to care. So I think yeah, we're on a collision course or something quite drastic to happen. Either player power takes place, which could then lead to a, you know an effect, a trickle down effect, which will hopefully get more protection for referees, but. Even that's sceptical. I think what we would see with that is just, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do what to protect players if the referees can burn. And I think mm-hmm. social companies will never... Social social media companies don't care about, you know, people like Bakai Saka, who's known all around the world, you know, extremely famous, um, you know, getting social media abuse, Marcus Rashford even more so. If they can't do anything to protect them, they're not going to care one bit about mm. um you know mark um about uh clattenburg or atkinson because you know what referees i know very well by face i actually know a lot of them by names i know stuart atwell's one but you mm. know people don't care enough and and that, that's the shame of it really because these are human beings but yeah I, I wouldn't hold my breath to see change in terms of protection for referees anytime soon mm, no agreed well, I think we'll uh, wrap that one up there. Thank you very much, Dryden, uh, for the information on Clattenburg's book. Um, I'm sure you'll be queuing up to to buy it. Well, you don't really need to queue up, would you? Unless if there's a book signing, <laughs> unless if, unless if, unless if there's a book signing, then I'm sure I'm sure you'll be first in the queue for the book signing. Hopefully, there is. Fingers crossed for you. But uh, thanks uh, to everyone for listening, <laughs> and tune in next time. Cheers, Cheers guys. <laughs>